Thanks for listening and thanks for your interest in learning from mistakes. I'm Mark Rabin. Did you know I can help your organization on this journey of cultivating a culture of learning and innovation? I can be a trainer, coach, and advisor on topics including psychological safety, problem solving, and continuous improvement. I can add value to your management team meetings by speaking and facilitating discussions on these important topics. To learn more, visit markgraben.com or email me, mark at markgraben.com. Let's improve together. Episode 178, Ian Small, CEO of the software company, Evernote. I was thinking about all the mistakes I've made because I've certainly made a lot of them. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Ian and Evernote, look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake 178. As always, thanks for listening. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Mistake. Our guest today is Ian Small. He's the CEO at Evernote. Uh, It's the app that launched a personal productivity movement uh, for knowledge workers around the world. I've I've heard it. I'm guessing you have as well, too. But Ian uh, came into the company um, under his leadership starting in 2018. Um, Evernote found what they describe as the courage to go back to basics, and they they launched a new era of innovation for the company um, to prep for uh, a decade of growth. So you can learn more uh, about them and their products and software at evernote.com. So before I tell you a little bit more about him, uh, welcome to the podcast, Ian. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Thanks, Mark, for having me. I appreciate it. It should be Uh, a lot of fun. I think it will be. Um, I'm thinking through um, Evernote would be helpful for, uh, I'm probably making a mistake in not using it to organize each of these episodes of the the, the things I need to do and, and keep track of. That seems like certainly a good use for Evernote. I completely agree. You are making a big mistake in doing that. It might be my favorite mistake of yours. <laughs> so now that I've admitted a mistake, you know, we'll get to to hear about Ian's. But, you know, Ian brings um, to Evernote and to this conversation more than 25 years of global product technology and business leadership experience. Uh, he's trained as an engineer. So his career has evolved from designing and building user experiences at Apple into product leadership and large-scale business management as CEO of TalkBox, and uh, he was the global chief data officer for Telefonica SA. In addition to his current role as CEO at Evernote, Ian sits on the board of directors for Lumentum and is an advisory board member for the Alphabet subsidiary Loon, which is a graduate of Google's XLab. So I'm sure some cool stuff going on there. Ian has a master's degree in computer science, and a, a bachelor's in engineering science from the University of Toronto and has earned more than 10 patents. Um, so Ian, maybe a different podcast would ask you if you have a favorite patent, but uh, I'm going to ask anyway, real quick. Do you, do you have a, can you choose a favorite? I, I have a patent that everybody in the world um, runs into on a daily basis. Oh, what's uh, that? And um, that is that, uh, uh, if you, uh, if you're looking at your desktop on like, you know, a, a PC or a Mac or something like that, and you see, um, 
you see an icon of a, of a document and it's got a miniature version of the document itself in it. Yeah. That's my patent. That's your patent. Well, my Mac, uh, my Mac does that. Windows probably does that too now. Yes. And so I, awesome. I, I, uh, uh, a long time ago, right? Icons used to be abstractions and they were just abstract representations of, of documents. So it, you knew it was a Word document or a PDF document or, you know, back in my Apple roots, a McDraw document or a McPaint document, but you wouldn't actually know what the document was. And so the idea of giving you a view into the document, um, uh, was, uh, was new. And that was, uh, that was something I did. I don't know, probably in the late 80s or early 90s when I was at Apple. Okay. So it was an Apple feature and these things tend to go, they get copied and licensed, yes, licensed hopefully. Uh, well, that's a whole, that's a whole <laughs> other story. And, and for this reason, it's either my favorite patent or my least favorite patent, <laughs> depending. <laughs> All right, so let's get into what the uh, you know the, the the main topic of the day here in terms of favorites, Ian. You know the different things you've done, different stops along the way in your career. What would you say is your favorite mistake? Well, it was interesting. You know, when you asked me to come on this this podcast, I was thinking about all the mistakes I've made because I've certainly made a lot of them. And you know, I think one of the the most far reaching in terms of how it really changed me was was you know, not a single moment where I made a mistake, but it was a habit that I had early in my career. And I'll sum it up as uh, Ian needs to listen better. And, um, you know, if, uh, if I was to go back and I mean, I don't have them, but if I was to go back and find like my first five annual performance reviews that, you know, I, I received as a, as an engineer in uh, in Silicon Valley, every year it would start the same way. Ian needs to learn to listen better. It was like reading the review for a you know kindergarten student. Ian needs to learn to listen better. Do, he needs do you to have play old, better with old, others? Do you have old report cards? Did it say Ian needs to listen better? <laughs> I I don't have old report cards either. I'd have to go. Yeah. I have to go see if my parents had them in the in the deep archives somewhere. But <laughs> yeah, uh, you know. Um, it was just it was just over and over again, year after year after year. Obviously, I wasn't listening well to the advice that I needed to learn to listen better. And I mean, were there um, consequences to that other than that write up in the performance review? Did you sort of say, "Well, okay, yeah, sure, every you know, most, most everyone can be a better listener." I mean, was it was it driving any sort of action? I mean, I think it was, it wasn't really so much that it was driving an action on my part. It was just that my managers at the time could, you know, could see that I literally wasn't listening as, as well as I could. And that that was holding me back for for me, like the impact really showed up, um, you know, when, uh, when I got my first opportunity um, to manage and to lead a team. And, um, you know, it was a small team and I was, it wasn't like I had a team of 20 people and I was the first job you usually get as a manager. Uh, it was a small team. I was a, I was a player coach. I had a big individual contributor role as well as, as well as leading the team. Um, 
But that was a moment when I sort of found out that everything that was working for me as an individual contributor was working against me as a manager. And the biggest thing that was working against me as a manager and leader was not listening to people. Um, and, you know, that was, I think, the moment when it, like, really turned from feedback into a mistake, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because it was yeah. really, it was hurting me, it was hurting the team, um, it was, you know, we weren't getting what we could out of the group of people that I was supposed to be, to be leading. Yeah. And, and when you say not listening, I mean, was that literally not paying attention or just not taking the input of others, like not, not hearing it in a way or saying, well, yeah, I hear you, but no, we're not going to do that. I mean, I think, you know, honestly, I think my, my point of view as a, as an individual contributor was I would listen to the first, you know, 15 seconds of what someone was saying. And then I would already think to myself, yep, I know that I've already thought about that. I can, I can stop listening now. It was, you know, it, you know, and that was one part of it. And another part of it was, Hey, I've already got a great idea. Um, you know, why, why do I need to listen since I've already got a great idea? Um, you know, it was a very egocentric point of view, needless to say. Um, and, uh, you know, it uh, it worked okay as a lone wolf engineer. It didn't work so great as a team member, and it certainly started failing me as as a manager. And you know, I I really had to um, you know think about how to overcome that, and and the process of of doing that really created you know, for me, what have been really some foundational, I don't know, principles or mantras or beliefs that have guided me as a, as a leader ever since. So this was a really, it was, it was hard to overcome, but it was really formative for me in, in my career. So, I mean, I'd like to go back and hear a little bit more about what you did maybe, um, you know, to make those adjustments, but this this might be a mistake in that it's a leading question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, it's I'm guessing, or it seems like you're a better leader now as a senior leader, as a CEO, from having made that adjustment earlier on. It wasn't a matter of just like, well, I I can fight through not listening, and I'm going to succeed anyway. Would you, would you say that adjustment? I would. I would. More I would say I wouldn't be in the role that I am in now, and I wouldn't have access to the roles that have defined my career over the last ten to fifteen years if I hadn't learned to overcome this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I think there's there's only so far you can get in an organization if you are um, not open minded, collaborative, and a listener. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's powerful. And, you know, I, I appreciate you, you know, being willing, you know, to share that, uh, Ian. And, you know, I'm curious then as, as you, I guess, you know, had this recognition, I think, as you said, you weren't getting as much out of your team as you could have. What were some of the steps in terms of, you know, trying to move forward differently? Did you have to acknowledge, like, was this in the elephant in the room that your team would have also said, given the chance in a 360 review, Ian needs to listen better? How, how do you move forward from that? I mean, I think, 
from for for me it was if i was going to be successful i needed to you know enroll the team in in working together enroll the team possibly in a vision and a plan i needed to align them and you know i needed to get the best out of the team that the team could deliver and that wasn't always based on what i thought or or what i or what i knew and so listening you know was essential if we were going to make the ideas the best ideas we could make listening is the first part of being able to align a team around a plan and 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 aligning a team around a plan is is and and getting real understanding of 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 where you're going and why why you're going there is really to me the first part of of getting a team to super perform and so all of those things were sort of important how how did i get there well you know the the, the solution in theory is easy just start listening more uh of, <laughs> right. of course but, uh, you know, yeah in reality it's a habit right yeah, it, it's yeah. a habit you built in yourself and you're you're trying to overcome um what is let's say in a workplace at that point probably 5 10 15 years of habit um that is pretty ingrained uh and you need to overcome it and you know it's not unreasonable right if 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 you're a high performer um being the first one in the room to have the answer is sometimes how you get noticed right and 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 it's and it's how it's how you drive and develop your career and so that transition from from that's a thing that drives your career forward then becomes a thing that can undermine your career as you move forward and it, it's a real challenge so you know for for me i needed to create some simple rules for myself right um i don't know talk last not first um uh listen so well that um uh, listen so well to what other people are saying that you can reframe it back to them in better, crisper terms than they can articulate their own idea, right? Listen so well to a group of people that you can aggregate what they are saying into a set of high-level observations or proposals or summations when they go, oh, yeah, that that is what we're saying. Like, these are tests you can apply to yourself to say, am I listening? Because if I'm listening, I should be able to do those things. And if when I repeat back, not the words you said, but the reframing of what you said, uh, either as an individual or as a group, in a way that adds value, then I'm listening really, really um, uh, effectively. That, that's, I'd say, one thing. And I, I'd say the second thing is, uh, and it talks to something we talked specifically about before, learn to dismiss nothing. Um, uh, that's actually very, very hard to do because, um, you know, one of the things that experience is supposed to bring you is, is patterns. And, and the more patterns you have to match, the more likely you can take what somebody's saying and jump to match a pattern in your brain, in your experience, and, and then accelerate the conclusion of is this good bad does it match does it not match etc and that is truly a value of experience but the flip side of that positive is a is a negative where 
you can dismiss things really quickly because they seem to match a pattern that you think is applicable and then you stop listening. And so I had to learn to dismiss nothing. I had to learn that if I didn't actually understand what someone was saying, I had to try twice as hard to listen to them to really understand what they were getting at. I had to assume that what they were saying was valuable and was something that I was missing so that I would I would really hear it and really learn it. I think um, these days, uh, Mark Benioff at Salesforce would call that uh, listening with beginner's mind. That's one yeah. of his things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wasn't smart enough to call it something that um, uh, uh, graceful. Uh, but I would say l learning to dismiss nothing was an important part for me of um, of listening more. Yeah. Um, that phrase, listen with a beginner's mind, is is jogging uh, a memory of, of a very similar phrase that I heard a lot. Paul O'Neill was the CEO of Alcoa, you know, the aluminum manufacturer. He was treasury yes. secretary um, for a couple of years. And then before he passed, was um, very passionate about healthcare improvement and coaching leaders. And he would frame maybe a similar idea. He would say, you need to learn to ask questions like a third grader, yes. of not being afraid to ask questions that might seem really fundamental to try to get to the core of what's happening here, what's the issue, what's going on. And I think, you know, I, you know people are afraid to expose that beginner's mind that, oh, that, this will make me look bad, perhaps. I think that's true. And I think, you know, um, simplifying is a real leadership skill and learning to ask questions like a third grader is, um, is a key part of simplifying. And I think that's, um, that's another dimension of this. Absolutely. For sure. And, and, and it's actually important to be seen, to be willing to ask questions like that mm -hmm. because it gives other people permission to mm -hmm. ask questions like sure. that. Well, and likewise, you know, as I you know, would celebrate you and others, you know, who come on the podcast, Ian, being willing as a leader to admit having made mistakes, I think also sets a very helpful tone for others inside the organization or people younger in their career who would look up to you and say, well, I bet Ian got to where he is because he never made a mistake. Um, yeah, that doesn't work. Working to <laughs> working, working to avoid making mistakes is a fast path to working to have no impact. Um, and you know, if you want to progress in your career, you have to have impact and to have impact means taking, making choices and making choices means taking risk and you're always going to make some wrong. You hope it's not the big ones. Um, uh, you hope the mistakes happen on the smaller things, not the bigger things, but they happen on the bigger things sometimes too. And you learn from all of them. And, you know, uh, I think one of, one of the things that's so interesting about this podcast and that echoes something that I've said to people uh, for a long time is, you know, you shouldn't only just learn from your own mistakes. We're all reasonably good at that, but you should watch everything that's happening around you and learn from everybody else's mistakes too. Yeah. Sure. That's an accelerator. Yeah. Um, as I wanted to go back and ask, you know, one thing is, is you were building that new habit and, you know, it can be really hard to change habits. You were trying to build that habit around listening to follow your rules that you had were, were, were there early steps that were then reinforcing this new way of operating in terms of seeing benefits that, that sort of encouraged you that, yeah, this is, this is a better path. I mean, I think there was early kind of 
I don't want to say feedback sounds like somebody wrote it down and put it in a in a document. I mean, it just worked better. It was clear that it worked better. It was clear that uh, the team was mo- more cohesive. It was clear that we were closer to working with one mind, uh, one shared mind. Um, when I worked harder at um, listening. Uh, instead of just, you know, pointing over the horizon and just say that away, um, you know, it worked better when we got there, uh, and, and developed those ideas of where to go and why as a team. And that, that I spent the time engaging with people and, um, you know, I could feel it as, as the leader, I could, um, I could see it in how coherently we were kind of operating and executing. And over time, I could see it in, in the results we were starting to post that, you know, we weren't early on. Yeah. Well, you've got this list of rules. I mean, a lot of times that, that could be uh, packaged together in a book, Ian Small's rules for uh, listening I- and, and, and leadership. I, I I do have one of these days a book I'm going to write about leadership, but it's a little different. It's actually everything I learned about leadership. I learned from my dog <laughs> uh, because, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it turns out that a lot of things uh, that if you're going to develop a, a strong relationship with the canines in your house, there's a lot of basically good things in there about management and leadership. Uh, and, uh, you know, Dogs are wonderfully simplifying creatures. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, but we'll see. Uh, I'm not really, a, I'm not really a, a, a book author or a professor, so I don't know if that's uh, in my future. Or not. Well, hey, but, hey, that could lead to a better book if it's not too, no offense to the professors out there, if it's not too <laughs> professorial, that, that's good. But, I mean, I, I've got to share with you, though, I mean, the, the crazy connection here, the the, the guest, I, it's, and especially since you mentioned the dog, Ian, um, the guest I'd interviewed um, pre, uh, recently, uh, Emily Leary, is uh, a child therapist, marriage family therapist. She wrote a book. Get get the, get this. Um, and the the character it's a children's book, so the the lead character is a dog. The the book's titled "Henry Knows Best: A Story About Learning from Mistakes and Listening to Others." Like that couldn't be a more perfect lead <laughs> to the That's conversation right. we're having. That's absolutely correct. Um, Little, little Henry there thought he knew best and he wasn't listening and uh, eventually had to learn. So maybe one other question, though, before we talk um, a little more broadly about Evernote in, in your role now as a, a CEO or when you've been a senior leader, like, do you do you do you tend to notice when younger leaders are maybe following in the footsteps of that same mistake? Does that give you an opportunity to try to coach them? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I one of the. One of my favorite things to do is um, is actually to spend time with people, helping them work through, you know, their own uh, struggles, their own leadership struggles, um, their own points in their career where they're having to let go of all the things or of something, something really foundational to them that has made them successful, uh, which is now sabotaging them. Um, and it's, it amazes me how often I see that pattern, um, uh, repeat itself of, of something that has made someone successful 
as an individual contributor or early in their career, um, you know, uh, finding that that thing is is now fundamentally in their way. Um, I uh, uh, and the challenge of letting go of it. Um, it's uh, it's really scary to do, right? You, you know, to to let go. Of, I mean, if you are if you are having a successful career, to let go of something that has made you successful to this point in order to take the next leap is literally, you know, like swinging through the jungle on a vine and letting go of a vine before you've got hold of the next one. And um, it's hard to do. Uh, and so, yeah, I absolutely, um, I absolutely see this happen. Um, uh, and, and I love working with people um, to help them get through those things. Yeah. So how close of a parallel is there then to the uh, the Evernote story of, you know, rebuilding everything from scratch was everything that had led Evernote to be successful up to that point in a different way, getting in the way of the next decade of success? I mean, in some ways, yes. And in some ways, no. I think I think the biggest challenge at Evernote, um, you know, when I when I got there was um, was that the, the company was a bit stuck. And um, in order to figure out what to do about that, yeah, I, I needed to listen. And in this case, I, I needed to listen to sort of three um, three groups of people or three constituencies. Obviously, uh, you know, the customers, that's an important constituency to listen to, the employees, um, uh, the team at the company, um, and and then the, the the board or the investors, however you want to think about them, because as a CEO, if you're going to lead a company um, through some kind of change, uh, you need to have those three constituencies um, on board and aligned. And the best way to do that is to start by listening to them and and to hear from them what what they think the problem was. And uh, you know, I think. I think what was interesting was, you know, everybody uh, zeroed in uh, on on the same, you know, they expressed it in different ways, but they zeroed in on the same root cause was that, you know, the company was was really uh, struggling with with innovating and struggling with um, being able to move the product forward, um, and you know, we wanted to be able to fix that and. And that was, uh, you know, and, and having the uh, having the the courage and having the permission uh, to go ahead and undertake something uh, that was as large as the sort of rebuild that we undertook really, you know, required listening to those constituencies and by listening to them, earning, you know, their permission to respond to the things that they had each talked about in their own ways. And I think um, that was, was uh, a very successful process um, at Evernote. It wasn't easy. It was on a grand scale. It's not like getting five people in a room and listening to them when you have millions of users and hundreds of employees and, uh, and, and a lot of investors, but um, it's still, it's the same problem writ on a much, much larger scale. And uh, yeah, I think we were um, we were very successful uh, in in taking that approach and in and in really taking the company through a, a two year 
a two-year process, which is a, a long, a long process for for employees. It's a long process for investors. It's a long process for customers to to really uh, reinvent Evernote um, and you know transform it uh, into the application that it is today and on the on the path that it is now. Yeah. So would you say? I mean, was the issue? I mean, it sounds like Evernote was hearing what people were saying, but we're just stuck in being able to take that leap to to let go of one vine and move forward? Or was there still a need to really improve the processing of what was being said to then move forward? What I would say is I think everybody knew, but no one was listening. Mm. Do you know the difference between those things? It's like what... uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes, didn't he used to say to Watson, oh, you saw Watson, but you did not observe. Mm. Uh, and it was, uh, I think, I think everybody knew, um, but the jump from knowing to really listening and then the jump from listening to being willing to undertake it, undertake what would be required were kind of the, the, the two parts that hadn't really quite come together. And, uh, you know, when, when, when I, I remember, uh, when I announced to the, uh, employees, uh, to the team at an all hands that we were going to go down this path and, you know, um, there was, there was a combination of, of, uh, of, of delight and disbelief, right? Delight because it's like, oh, look, you know, He's really listening, and disbelief because sort of like, yeah, no one, no one will actually do this. This is not actually going to last. In six months, he's going to change his mind, and, and we just, we just didn't do that. We just stuck with it, and um, it wasn't easy, but we, we got through it. And and now, you know, we've been on the other side for two years. We've been innovating in the market, leading, shipping new capability. Um, you know, uh, really um, taking Evernote from a world in which we were all about note taking and knowledge management to one in which um we're we're embracing a slightly larger piece of productivity and and all in response to what customers tell us they're doing with the product so we're still listening but we're just now listening um and being able to take new kinds of actions that we couldn't take before so what i hear you saying is that there were changes to um maybe sort of the scope of of what people wanted or expected to be able to do in Evernote, and then there was also a need, and, and I'm not that technical, but we just, I mean, was like the was it a, a did the code have to be rewritten from scratch to be on a, a more forward facing technology platform or language? Short short answer, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. We uh, for a number of reasons, um, the the code base uh, had aged um and was constraining us from moving forward uh and you know there were there was functionality we tried to ship several times and being unable to ship it because of the constraints of the existing code base um and it's not functionality we've shipped uh today successfully uh, on the new code base and so um yeah that that's it, it really is trying to respond to what people tell us they were doing with the software and, and, and trying to get the software to do that better, but then discovering that we were, we were, you know, hamstrung 
by our existing architecture and some of the decisions we'd made over the previous 10 years from actually being able to move forward. And, and that was, that was what we needed to fight through. Uh, there is, there is an hour long technical podcast in here about okay. what we actually did and how we did it. We, we yeah. probably shouldn't do that now, but yeah. Right. No, somebody else is better qualified to ask good questions about that. But I mean, I think, you know, that facing that scenario, it seems like, you know, there, there are times mistakes of inaction. If trying to get like, let's ride it out a couple more years before we decide to re-architect, there could have been that mistake. Um, was there was there any way in making that decision to move forward at that time in that way? Could have been a mistake. I'm, I'm just curious as a CEO, how do you think through, here's what we expect to happen, here are risks in terms of it might not play out? I think uh, it was absolutely a... Um, there's no question it was a high-risk decision to take the decision that we took. It would have been easier to easier and simpler to uh, see if we could kick the can down the road for the two years. But, um, but also, it wasn't going to get us anywhere. Uh, and so that was fundamentally at a board level, the conversation of, well, what, what are we trying to do here? Are we, are we just trying... Are we just trying to survive or are we trying to grow and become what we really believe that we can be as a company? And if, if we want to, if we want to truly follow the vision of the company and we really want to try to execute against this mission that we have, um, you know, the vehicle that we are in is not fit for purpose anymore and we need to do something about it. Uh, and, and that was really. Uh, and, and we unfortunately, you know, reached the point where we could no longer do this incrementally. That, that was the real challenge that, you know, we couldn't, we could no longer bite this off a piece at a time. We had to bite off the whole problem. And, uh, and, and that was, you know, more than likely because some number of times, um, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't there. I wasn't at the company, but I would guess some number of times it's like, eh, we'll just defer that for two years. And yeah. you do that enough times and then you end up in the place we were. Yeah. So as you were moving forward with that reinvention, um, you know, I think there, there's a Silicon Valley mantra that's kind of related to this podcast, maybe fail fast, fail often. Um, were, were there, was there a process of as you're moving forward with this risky plan to make sure that you were learning, um, adjusting as, as, as you went? I mean, unfortunately, no, because if you're going to replatform, you can't actually do it a little piece at a time. Mm -hmm. You have to, you have to try and take the whole thing with you. It's one of the reasons why it is so risky is because it tends to be a little bit of a big bang approach. Um, uh, that's, uh, that's not what you want, um, but it's but it's how it works. And so we needed to move as much of the product as we could over onto onto a new platform, um, and and then go from there. And I think you know we uh, uh, I think there's no question that um, you know we took our users through through a bit of a difficult ride. Um, and, uh, you know, there were, there were a couple of moments we didn't do things uh, nearly as well as we should. Um, but, 
you know, when I look at where we are now um, and, uh, you know, where customer sentiment is now and where product velocity is now and the kinds of things we're able to do, now we're able to move, uh, you know, uh, in incremental steps, test, iterate, learn, test, iterate, learn. And, you know, that's just, we weren't able to do that before. And so that's, you know, we've gotten ourselves to the place where that uh, mantra can be correct. I, I, uh, uh, I think, um, I think failing fast is, is good. And, and I think that, um, uh, I think it's an important mantra because it indicates that failing is, is not actually a problem, but I, I prefer to focus on, you know, on iterate, uh, and on iterating faster because I, I, I think some failures are actually avoidable if you actually stopped and thought about them for a bit up front. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's gone from something that's important because it creates permission to fail to something that maybe glorifies failure mm, <laughs> more than yeah. it should. There's, that's a whole different conversation, maybe around finding that balance, um, here in other cases. So, um, you know, Ian, before we wrap up here, uh, just one follow-up question to, to the re the reboot story. Um, do you anticipate, you know, in some year, 2030, 2035, that there would be, is this inevitable that there would be the need for another reboot or can you guide the ship in a way where that, that such, that, 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 where that big risk, that big reboot can actually be avoided? I don't think it should be necessary to do that. I don't, I don't see that as, um, as a inevitable future. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it requires, you know, a balance as you look at, how you run any um, technology company, a balance of, you know, investing in ongoing maintenance and and ongoing um, modernization while you are also developing, you know, the, the product and, um, and, and, and solving user and solving user problems. I think as long as you maintain those things in balance, um, you know, whatever modernization you might need to do, and there's no question that over the course of 10 years, there will be things to be modernized. Mm-hmm. You can do those things, you know, while, while the plane is flying, um, as opposed to having to land the plane and switch out all the engines and take off again. And I think, um, I think that's, that's really, really, um, uh, the way, the way one tries to run, uh, uh product and technology businesses. And so, no, I, I don't see it as an inevitable future, not at all. Okay, good. So again, our guest has been Ian Small, CEO of Evernote. You can learn more about them, evernote.com. Final question for you here. And, you know, Evernote, in, in past experience using it, you know, it's a very um, flexible platform for you to figure out how it works for you. Um, so, you know, are there mistakes that users would make or is, or is that just not possible? I think the thing about Evernote, which is fantastic, is that um, it really, really, uh, you know, can be shaped to the way that you want to work. And so I I think the biggest mistake, really, that a, uh, a user can make with Evernote is to think that there is a right way. There is only your right way uh, with Evernote. And, and the fact that, you know, we we don't force you into a particular way of doing things um you know is is a real strength of the product it it puts a little more responsibility onto the shoulders of the user 
but it allows us to be a product with a reach of millions of users because we don't insist on one way of seeing the world and one way of doing things, uh, you know, your way. It's, there's a reason that our users don't call it Evernote. They call it my Evernote. Um, and, and that's because, uh, it is all about the way they want to work, um, and the way that they want to get through their day. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, appreciate you, you know, being willing to share your favorite mistake story, Ian, and more importantly, what you've learned, how you've progressed, um, through your career. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Being a great time. Well, thanks again to Ian Small for being our guest today to learn more about him and his company. Look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake 178. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. 